Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin, creator of MediaRoots.org. Just wanted to remind everyone that Media Roots is an independently funded grassroots media organization, and we're always encouraging donations to help keep this project going if you guys want to see um, us continue broadcasting. So please consider that, and thanks so much for listening to our show. Today on the show, we're going to do an episode about the Fukushima nuclear disaster and just give some updates from two people who have been researching it heavily since the beginning of the disaster, Anthony Bassett and Shingo. Anthony's a composer and improviser working in all genres of electronic music from techno to noise, who designs his own software and hardware for live use. Since 2007, he's been a part-time resident and regular performer in Tokyo and has played shows from Hokkaido to the Southern Islands. He's the co-founder of DSP Audio and an ex-famous hacker in another life. Shingo is a rap activist, peace advocate, and inventor. Born in Tokyo in 1975, raised in Tanzania, England, and Japan, Shingo landed in the SF Bay Area after the quake of 89. After a move to Berkeley for schooling in 93, he became immersed in the local hip-hop scene that launched dozens of acts worldwide. At first, he used his art skills to get involved with the budding East Bay scene, And then in 96, his music made its way back to Japan, and he currently lives in LA and works with artists on both sides of the Pacific. His tours often take him to the mainland Asia and South America. Shingo has been involved on and off in anti-nuclear activism and research since 2006. Anthony, having his extended family and friends in Tokyo threatened by fallout, has been researching since the March 11th disaster. Although as a consummate infophile, this is not his first encounter with nuclear science. Hope you guys enjoy the interview with Shingo and Anthony. Welcome to the show, you guys. We wanted to start off just by having each of you kind of describe, um, you know, why, Anthony, first you, um, why did you move to Japan originally? And then I guess each of you just tell your story, your personal story about the day of the the quake and the tsunami and how you guys were both personally affected by that. We'll start with you, Anthony. All right. Well, uh, I had been in San Francisco since uh, around 99 and... uh, like a lot of people working in the tech industry and at the same time feeding my artistic uh, interests from the income. And uh, at a certain point, I got fed up with uh, working for organizations that uh, I didn't really believe in what they did. Um, I was doing uh, network security consulting for Fortune 500s and uh, I really wasn't... uh, I wasn't happy doing work for signals intelligence groups that were uh, organizing, uh, you know, coups in the Middle East and such. <laughs> so, and such. Yeah. So uh, at a certain point, I just stopped doing that and said, uh, I'm going to, you know, go all in with uh, the artwork that I do. Mm-hmm. And um, Japan had always been an interesting place to me and, and uh I got called over there to do a, some contracting work, and uh, while I was there, I ran into some really uh, amazing people, and uh, one of them, without knowing anything about me, said, hey, come play in my bar, and uh, and another was like, hey, come and live with me, and I was like, wow, that's pretty great. I'll do both those things. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I went, and uh, you know, a year and a half later, I'd played like maybe 150 shows. Wow in Tokyo and so things just kind of took off and so you and, lived you were living in Tokyo well I was bouncing in and out mm-hmm. I didn't have a work visa so mm-hmm. I would I would be there for three months and then I'd fly to Thailand stay on the beach for a week 
and then fly back to Tokyo and keep going. <laughs> nice. And you know, and you get the fun, the, the fun run around. Then when you're coming back in with like greasy hair, and they're like, they're like, uh, we want you to look at this book. Okay, I'll look at the book. What's in the book? And uh, and they have this like nicely built little, uh, you know, clear glossy uh, twenty page folder that has pictures of all these drugs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's a very cute girl there, and and she's like. Do you ever smoke? And and um well, um I'm trying to quit. Um oh well, you smoke? Well yeah, uh, cigarettes sometimes. Oh, but you never smoke the other stuff, you know. And it just on and on these yeah. fun questions, and you're looking at the book and you just want to steal it, you know. <laughs> you're like, this is genius. That's amazing. But um, but no, the the um. The culture has always been uh, fascinating to me, like initially because of the colors used in Japanese cinema, and that's how I got interested in Japan. Was just the color use in the mm -hmm. cinema. And do you speak and, Japanese, Anthony? Mm, okay. I yeah, a, you do. You lie. <laughs> he, he does. Don't be, <laughs> don't be humble. No, it's it's a it's sort of a schizophrenic Japanese. I have a pretty big <laughs> vocabulary, but uh, my my grammar is really bad. <laughs> so but it so, works so tell us about you know why why were you back here um when when the quake and tsunami happened tell us about that day and why well, you were here i've been back here working on an instrument for a little over nine months mm -hmm. and and so these instruments i build them uh and play on them and uh i'm rebuilding the whole kit so that takes some time my parents have a shop up here in sonora that i can use with a lathe and a mill and a lot of other uh, tools. So I was back here rebuilding my system for more touring and, uh, and just, you know, staying in touch with everybody there. And, uh, I woke up one morning and, you know, found out that it happened. And, um, the earthquake itself didn't really, uh, impact me too much. Mm -hmm. Um, of course I was concerned about people there you know, just on initially hearing about it, but mm -hmm. then, you know, you tune into the net and start mm -hmm. looking around and yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty shocking. So I started touching base with everyone and most everybody seemed fine, but then, um, you know, then reports out of Fukushima kept popping up and, uh, and you're talking about after the tsunami. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. So, so like, you know, every, like I basically, went through the network and checked on everybody that I could, like anyone would do. And, uh, and it seemed like everyone was in a safe position. So then the, the developments at Fukushima started happening and I immediately was like, Whoa, I've moved my entire friend group and, you know, sans a couple people here in the Bay area that I still am close to. I've moved my entire social life and professional life to another country and now that's being threatened by a radiological <laughs> release. Right. Yeah. And, and all those people, you know, after a number of years, you make some pretty deep roots. So mm -hmm. uh, I immediately started researching that and kind of dropped my other work. And um, I would say since then, I've been doing that. I've probably been averaging five to six hours a day. Oh, wow. So you just dovetailed into the, the coverage and... And research and regarding the Fukushima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then randomly, um, 
Shingo and I hooked up recently mm-hmm. in Oakland. So, um, and he was, he, of course, he was on the same tip. He should tell you about his background. Yeah. So, Shingo, why don't we start with you? You were Japanese born. Yeah, I, I am. And tell us about, so did you, you were born there and when did you move to America? That's when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, my family bounced around Tanzania, London, and Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, I came here uh, as a freshman in high school. Then I moved up to Cal um, for an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started music. And, yeah. and does a, a lot of your family in Japan still, or are they primarily here? No, um, my parents and my sister and her family, they're all in Japan. Oh, wow. In, in the Tokyo area. And so tell us about the day, you know, when you heard about the earthquake and tsunami. Tell us how you were affected by that personally. Right. Well, it was in the evening time over here, and people started mailing me, oh, there, there was a big earthquake. And just as Anthony said, um, I didn't take it that seriously. I knew that it was a big quake, but being Japanese, you're more or less used to it unless it's the one. And as in the one, we mean like a big earthquake <laughs> yeah. that hits Tokyo because we've been, just like the Bay Area, we've been expecting something that might devastate the Tokyo metropolis. Mm-hmm. But then it happened to be in the Northeast. We we're like, oh, wow, that still m- must have been hard. But we we're like, oh, thank God it was in Tokyo. And then we see the footage of the tsunami wiping everything out like Lego blocks. And that was shocking to say the least mm-hmm. and then as a triple whammy we get this news about the nuclear reactors and then basically within the span of 12 hours everything went into like a full um disaster yeah, yeah it was it was pretty crazy so just generally speaking like what what was your guys familiarity with with nuclear power in, in particular, the way it had been used in Japan before this happened. Were you aware that that there were this many nuclear power plants in Japan, and that you know that they were they could be potentially under threat from a tsunami or, or an earthquake? Well, was that I, even on your radar before this happened? I well, I was aware of it simply um, because of Shingo, and I was aware specifically of the Fukushima plant. Um, I don't know where I'd run across it, but I was aware of its uh, position and uh, potential for a tsunami-like mm-hmm. event to hit a plant and cause trouble. That had been discussed. Fukushima itself may have not been the, the one that was discussed. But um, Shingo had been involved in uh, some uh, working to... I don't know, what, what were you doing, Shingo? Okay, well, this was in, back in 2006 where a, a fuel reprocessing plant was scheduled to go into operation in Aomori, which is further north of Fukushima. I've, I've been there. That's one of the only places I stayed for an extended period of time in Japan. Where, Aomori? Yeah, that's a beautiful, oh, wow. beautiful wow. town. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, I didn't realize, so there's a nuclear power plant there, is what you're saying. Or well, a reprocessing. Yeah, there's a reprocessing plant that's already complete. It took decades to build, and it was about to go into um, full operation in summer of 2006. And then it hasn't happened yet because they've been having a lot of trouble with uh, with basically um, solidifying the melted fuel. So that, but but nonetheless, they've been having a lot of active um, testing, and they have been releasing a lot of radioactive material. 
So anyway, we had this whole movement happen in 2006 with composer Ryuichi Sakamoto and a lot of uh, musicians around the world, including Kraftwerk. They chipped in and we, we did this whole, um, whole uh, artistic project to kind of spread awareness. But at the same time, me personally, I, uh, I found out how little I knew about the actual situation. And then the more and more I studied, I realized that it wasn't just the reprocessing that was bad. It was the whole nuclear fuel cycle that was pretty um, hazardous to the environment. Mm-hmm. So, I, so, I, so that's why I ended up um, started doing my own research. I started reading and, and then I put out like an entire report. This is in Japanese, but I, I put out an entire report in, um, in, in 2006 as well. So ever since I've been um, trying to do whatever I can to let people know that it's important to stop spreading uh, the nuclear power plants, let alone trying to um, trying to bring this to a halt. And what so, was your re- what did your report entail? Just kind of outlining the hazards and no, what you were researching. No, actually, I, I recognize the importance of educating the people. So I started from uh, the very, very beginning. Like I really started talking about how the universe was formed and what atoms are and why atoms last for billions of years and why atoms have so much energy inside. And then I broke down um, fission and I broke mm-hmm. down being uh, uh, the difference between external radiation, internal radiation. And then I put up interviews and I did the whole nine. Wow. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Um, so, so just, so, just so I can get a better perspective on, on where you're coming from Shingo is that that sounds like you're, you're kind of against the, the idea of nuclear power being like the future, you know, everybody, everybody who seems to be okay with it thinks that it's, you know, going to be like our saving grace for our right. energy problems in the future. But it sounds like you're, not really excited about that prospect. <laughs> well, I mean, the more you're informed, I think mm-hmm. you, you, you will form your own opinion about that. Yeah. It, it really is about what your priorities are. Right. And, and then, um, I'm sure the pro nuclear people will try to give you statistics. That, okay. We need this power. But mm-hmm. if you look at the bigger picture, it's not about electricity. Like if you're really talking about generating electricity, there's so many other ways that you could do without leaving radioactive waste that lasts tens of thousands of years. Right. Mm-hmm. When so when you, sorry, when you really look at the at the uh, return on the invested energy for nuclear power plants, you see that um, they're not very great, um, and and it's arguable where they really sit against the other powers power sources but um they when you factor in the fuel used to extract the uranium and then uh building of the plant and then the fund that the plant has to maintain for when it is torn down like each nuclear power plant has to um be paying into a a savings fund in order to support the decommissioning of the plant and and well, the, well, well, just like the best example you gave, Anthony, was that a lot of countries are actually too broke to stop. Mm-hmm. Right, That's like in the Ukraine now, after yeah. you know, post-Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. like you have these uh, these similar to Chernobyl power plants that don't have containment vessels per se. 
that are quite dangerous to operate. Probably, I mean, I, I'm speaking on a guess here, but they're probably still using graphite stacks internally, which are, you know, if those things catch fire, that's real trouble. So uh, in that case, you know, they've got these massive disasters that they have to carefully tend to and hope that nothing goes wrong, that no, you know, that that a regional instability from warfare or some natural disaster, a changing weather pattern, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things that can take these plants out. Mm-hmm. So they have to, you know, prevent against that and they don't but they don't have the money in the Ukraine to to decommission the plant. They just keep using it for electricity and hoping nothing goes wrong. Right. And since you guys have been pretty much diving into research since this all started. I wanted you guys to just give a quick update on what's going on right now. Um, it just went to a level seven. Um, and yeah, if you guys can just kind of talk to us about what's happening. Yeah. And what even a level seven really means on a relative scale as well. Sure. Okay. Well, go ahead. Go for it, Chingo. <laughs> Me? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, sure. You can go ahead. All right. Um, well, the uh, level seven is equal to the Chernobyl situation, according to the IAEA, and uh, that's kind of a. It's there's a lot of slippage in what that really means. Um, at present, there's been, um, let's say, I'm just going to use units rather than a scientific figure. At present, there's been five hundred thousand units released. Maybe this is a few days before. Um, released from Fukushima. And um, the Chernobyl release was around 5 million units, let's say. So, um, But the margin of error is still high, though. You don't know that. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. very correct. But these, these are, this is what NISA or um, the ICRP is, is reporting, um, or NRC. I'm not sure who's reporting it. But um, so... The, there's some big differences between Chernobyl and Fukushima, and, um, and they are both positive and negative. In the case of Chernobyl, you had um, a graphite stack, like a number two lead pencil. When those catch fire, they burn really hot, and they loft a lot of ash into the atmosphere, very high up. Chernobyl, so Chernobyl, besides you know, going into a fission state, exploding, and having this graphite fire that continued for 12 days, or something, uh, two weeks, mm-hmm. about. Um, that was able to loft a lot of contaminants really high into the atmosphere. And, and that ash carried contaminants that normally, wouldn't, that normally would fall down more quickly. It carried them further on the wind. Okay. So in the case of Fukushima, we have these enclosed reactor vessels, um, and, and we have these spent fuel pools. And we have um, many times more... Uh, spent fuel, we have many times more material to pollute the environment at Fukushima. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those spent fuel pools are in open-air burns, so they're just sitting there burning when they feel like it and releasing stuff to the atmosphere. They don't have a graphite carrier involved, so they're not, you know, stuff isn't going as high. Um, particles that are heavy, like plutonium, are probably falling a little sooner and not making it as far, we still don't, I, I can't say that with certainty, that's, a, that's just a generalized intuitive guess. Um, the, uh, but the amount of disaster potential is higher than Chernobyl. 
Yeah, the, and, and not to mention that there are three reactors that are in danger instead of just one, right? And with, which was Chernobyl right. situation. Still right. That, plus, still plus four, yeah. A four. It's more okay. four, the fourth one yeah. is just a spent fuel, but it's still um, very hot. So, the, right. The the stuff that's trapped inside the spent fuel sometimes is much more dangerous than the ore itself. Yeah. So it's, right. it's all it's all relative. Because yeah, totally. So I mean, that spent fuel was pulled recently out of a out of a reactor, and it's and that spent fuel that we're talking about, number four, I believe number four has MOX. No, that's number a, three. That's number. Three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know, all spent fuels have plutonium and uranium inside, so those are alpha emitters, which is a lot different from the regular uh, uh, fission products that you get from a core reactor. Yeah. So so they're all bad and. In short. Could you guys comment on the status of each reactor really quickly as it stands right now? Well, actually, I really haven't been following that closely on the up, up to date. But but um, if you look at the data, you know, the number one, it just seems to be heating up a lot. But they say, say that the meters are broken, so you don't know what to base it on. Number two, they say they can't even get close to it. So we don't have good data to go off of again. Mm-hmm. And number three has the MOX fuel. We don't know if the space fuel is there burning or it might have blown into pieces. We really don't know. And number four, again, that's the uh, just the spent fuel that's just heating up a lot. So, you know, you, you have a lot of numbers and data given to it, but we really don't know how to assess the damage. Right. Yeah. From, from some of the back channel sources that we've talked to have said that there's... Uh, that there's multiple meltdowns going on simultaneously there. Mm-hmm. So multiple containment vessels are breached. And that's according to back-channel sources. This is not confirmed data that's well, in the public I mean, domain. What you, what you have to keep in mind is that a- after the tsunami hit and took out all the power, once you go past about 90 minutes without the ability to cool, the fuel itself is going to start melting. And, and whether that melted fuel is going to breach the containment, nobody knows. So nobody knows. We, we're just going off for observation. Like, okay, we're putting in a lot of water and the water's not holding. <laughs> or we, we're seeing a lot of uh, radioactivity that's leaking or leaching out of the system. And it's very high, so there must be a hole in the containment. Sure. These, these or we're are seeing iodine-131. Yeah. We're seeing mm-hmm. fission products yeah. in the water. Okay. Yeah, these so, are all guesses. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's, so I just watched this movie. I don't know if you guys have seen this. called The China Syndrome. With uh, mm-hmm. with Jack Lemon, and I guess it's a slang term for, you know, the cartoonish uh, right. result of a mel- right. a meltdown going mm-hmm. through through the bottom of the earth to China. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean, what happens after a meltdown? Like what? So you're saying they that right now they're guessing, their best guess is that it's in meltdown right now, but they don't know how far it's gone through the containment vessel. Right. Um, they they can't see it. I mean, they can only measure it or or whatever. Yeah, that's so, correct. That's correct. So what what could happen? I mean, like what what what's the worst case scenario? You know, maybe and what's, what's right kind if these of aren't a, contained? Yeah, or just just one of them, the one that is in meltdown that we're that we're certain is. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure that we are witnessing the worst case scenario happen right now. Is that we can't do anything about it but to sit and watch? Mm-hmm. You know, of course, of course, we are pouring these waters. On top of uh, the fuel, but it's much, much less than what what the standard amount is to uh, circulate to cool the core. So it's definitely not doing enough, uh, good enough of a job to do that. 
And um, we, I mean, a lot. Uh, this one scientist has said that we're basically at a equilibrium, but we're basically hanging on the edge of a cliff on our fingernails. That's how he described it. Oh my God. So whatever quote unquote stable situation this is now, that it's not in the sense that it's not getting any worse, or so we're not seeing any uh, explosions. We we still have to concede the fact that there's really not much we can do. Yeah, I mean it's just an inevitable, um, you know, degradation of 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 the core. I mean, or, or I mean, if they could keep spraying water on it forever indefinitely, I mean, theoretically, I guess they yeah, could keep it yeah. stable. But I mean, but what? you're building, you're you're developing tritium and all sorts of nasty contaminants <laughs> yeah, yeah. that then exactly. go and spread into the environment you, 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 you through other to, vectors. You have to remember whatever you put in is going to come out. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and um, that that so going back to the, my original statement about nuclear fuel cycle, the fact that you're using uranium as a fuel, you're already creating these radionuclei that are trapped inside, uh, trapped inside the uh, spent fuel. So of course, if you can keep it safe and guarded for tens of thousands of years, that's okay. But that's <laughs> that's never going to happen. It's 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 eventually going to leach out of whatever containment you put in in the in, in um in many miles you know underground it's going to go into the groundwater or it's going to catch fire with through some accident so, right chernobyl yeah. is slowly you know moving towards the groundwater and it is in some of the groundwater from what i've read and it, and it's slowly heading towards kiev and minsk so, so there's, so there's oh, still some activity happening under that concrete sarcophagus oh yeah you still have molten in, yep. in the ground there the uh the wow. sarcophagus itself is is cracked in multiple places and is failing and um the iea again has started a multinational fund um to build a new a new sarcophagus over the top of the old sarcophagus wow that's, and that new one will be me. completed in five or six years or something but um it's and it's costing um many billions of dollars this so, is so disturbing. I so, have no idea. So that that, that power on. plant is still, you know, it's still sucking money yeah, out of the system. Yeah, it's not over. I mean, that that. No, it's never know. over. Yeah, it's never over. And right. I, I wanted to interject something really quick here that that sure. I wanted to focus on later in the discussion, but but you mentioned that that in these spent fuel pools, there's the danger of plutonium going up into the atmosphere, and but when Anthony was saying that in this case, since there's no um, graphite that it won't that it might fall sooner you know theoretically it, it's but, not as easy to carry because and well, yeah. plutonium is very heavy but so uh, the reason i was asking is because you hear about you know what to do if the fallout hits you know california or whatever people were talking about stocking up on potassium iodate but would that actually protect you in any way from plutonium itself no no of course so not. that's a completely different kind of um, um yeah. radiation danger right Yes. Of course. I mean, once what well, once you burn uranium or fission, you, you have more than a thousand byproducts that come out as combination of different elements, and you just have to be knowledgeable about what things to be aware of and how long things last in the environment and in the body, and then each each uh, characteristic, I should say, uh, carry different meanings, right? Like for example. You talk about half lives, how how things, uh, how long things last, and if you if it has a short half life, you might think it's a good thing because it's going to go away soon. But if you have a 
radioactive material with a short half-life inside your body, that means it's very violently radioactive, so that's really not what you want compared to a longer half-life. But uh, then again, a longer half-life, if it stays inside your body for a long time, that's going to irradiate your cells, so you have a catch-22 there. So, so my, my suggestion is that you avoid Don't get things. any of it. Yeah, <laughs> as much as possible, and there is no safe dose, like people say, yeah. and it's, it's, it's not good at all. Well, but biologically, people, you know, organisms are always uh, having mutations and, and, and damage from ionizing radiation from the background radiation that exists. So the fact that, that, that that's a kind of constant interplay in an organism's life uh, and, you know, over generations, um, that that plays into the development of the organism is really important to recognize that even low levels like with the current ambient background radiation mm -hmm. before this event are are not the most friendly thing coming out of nature mm -hmm. and well, uh and so when you start raising those levels i mean shingo turned me on to this point that's really important which is that you have the ambient background radiation already and sure it's that let's just say that that's god's given will and it's good and then <laughs> on top of that you, you start adding uh, other background radiation sources like the uh, above-ground nuclear testing in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And that stuff doesn't leave the troposphere. It's still floating around. It's still dropping. So, it, you know, it, it does, it rains out. The initial groups of it will rain out, but there's still uh, very fine particles, particulates that are circling the globe from those tests. And that stuff's still coming down some. And then, you know, you add in all these other things, and I guess the point I just want to get to is that uh, all of these are cumulative. So your overall exposure to ionizing radiation is growing. So each time a Chernobyl happens, or each time a Fukushima happens, or each time some country gets into a skirmish and we go and use a bunch of depleted uranium to take care of the problem, which is totally wrong, um, then the for the whole world, the overall background radiation for all the entities living here go increases and it stays it stays up for a long time so it's a, a really good point yeah it's a, yeah it's a good point that people don't really acknowledge is that it is cumulative and one thing that i was just bringing up to robbie earlier that's just interesting is all the nuclear testing like you were just mentioning in the 50, 50s and 60s in new mexico and bikini island and we dropping two nuclear bombs on japan um it seemed like no one really knew or I don't know, you didn't really hear that much about what radioactivity would do. Um, you had the workers who were witnessing it just wearing the goggles and brooming each other off after the bomb dropped when they were doing these testings. I mean, at the same time, um, you know, a lot of people are freaking out about the radioactivity coming from Japan. But where, where were people's concerns when we were just testing atomic bombs for the last couple decades? Okay, well, I, I can answer that question. Okay. Well... Back then, when we had these testings, of course, you have to realize the context that we were going into the Cold War, and it was basically a race to see who can build the most powerful deterrent. But scientifically speaking, I'm thoroughly convinced that people knew the hazards to breathing in radioactive material ever since the 30s. And, and that was known. However, it was never disseminated to the public. So, um, and, and then, you know, once the testings happened, you had scientists like Dr. Ernest Sternglass, who testified before the Congress and worked with uh, Jeff K to 
stop the test ban or initiate the test ban. So you, you had you had people that recognized the danger of it and took action and then and turned it into law as well. Mm-hmm. But but like I said, I'm convinced that people who worked on the radiation issue since its inception, they they knew exactly what was going to happen. And now you see politicians. I mean, the the whole news was focusing on Fukushima for about a week, and then it just switched to the Libyan bombing. And now mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, w- there's still a meltdown happening, and the whole world community, in my opinion, needs to get together and talk about how we're going to wean off nuclear energy immediately. I mean, right. we have reactors on the shoreline here, built on the fault. It's just, it's entirely unacceptable. It's yes, but that's a strike. That's a strike slip fault, and it moves north and south. There's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just am in, am in shock at um, the fact yeah. that, you know, the world leaders are not coming together and acknowledging that this is, like you said, it's a cumulative thing. The entire world is affected by anything that's happening. Right, right. Well, but but then you, you got to realize that ever since the days of World War Two and then the bomb testing period and the Cold War, and then you had the Chernobyl happen. And then now this there's always a pattern in, in which how things are dealt mm-hmm. and how people are taught. Uh, about radiation and it's been going on for decades so it's really nothing new that these guys are going to stick to their guns and say a little bit is really not much of a concern and don't worry about it Mm -hmm. yeah what are the levels right now you guys know of where um in in fukushima and then also just in the surrounding i know that a lot is leaking out into the ocean right now um do you guys have any levels i talked to a person this morning who just came back he was working on the uh he was working for ABC, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he went to Itate Village, which is close to mm-hmm. Fukushima. Um, it's about 25 miles, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he recalled that the Geiger counter was reading 4 millisieverts. Per which hour. is Per hour, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to make the media mistake. <laughs> um, but, but that's a really, really high, is it? That's quite high compared to the ambient background radiation, but quite low compared to a deadly dose. So, you know, where does that sit? Well, Mm -hmm. it's kind of in another realm of like, well, that's nothing. You know, the the ABC News guy was said, oh, that's nothing. (laughs) That's not handle that. They told us that was okay. Now, speak to to that point a little bit, because I hear, you know, I mean, you either it's very polarized, the debate between the amount of radiation, how much it can damage you. It seems like people are either like, well... That's yeah, that's nothing. You know, you, that's that's the amount of radiation you incur when you go on an international flight or you, you get a chest X-ray. But I mean, how, you know, how many chest X-rays are they talking about? I mean, are they talking oh. about, you know, it's, it's just is it's, it a chest X-ray every hour? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, yeah. Break that down a little bit for us and what you think about the, you know, and what you think about the way people have kind of framed that debate. Yeah. Can, can I talk about this, Anthony? Go for it. Yeah. OK, so basically. um. People have been comparing oranges and apples when it's really not the same thing. Like, there's been many cases where you can illustrate this point. Number one, you know, internal radiation is different from external radiation. Uh, You know, uh, being contaminated with one particular uh, radionuclide, very different from getting a whole body gamma ray, which is just light. So you just can't compare these things like it's the same thing and just equate it with an arbitrary unit like a sievert. It just, it's just not the same thing. It's, it's like uh, equating banging on your computer to 
getting hit with a virus inside your computer. <laughs> it's it, it just not the same thing. You That's could, a very good point. Yeah, I mean, you, you could uh, you could say both of them cause stress onto the machine. That is true, but it's not the same thing. And and the the most important thing you have to realize from the days of the bomb testing is that people at different stages of their lives are are. Uh, uh, respond differently to radiation. If you're infant or if you're a fetus or if you're pregnant, you're going to be tens of thousands times more susceptible to to effects of radiation inside of your body. And never mind the fact that X-rays and you know uh, artificial radiation is not good for you, anyways. It's it's, it's not supposed to be compared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible education. Um, there was one. There was one point I, f- I forgot to follow up on. We were talking about the plutonium um, and the difference between you know break down for us a little bit about what radiation people are talking about protecting themselves from by taking potassium iodate. And also, I remember hearing that during the Chernobyl fallout, that the rates of lung cancer increased like something like twenty thousand times in eastern you know areas of Eastern Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And is was that is that linked to actually inhaling plutonium or how does that how does that get into your body? Okay, well, number one, the the iodine is to protect yourself from radioactive iodine accumulating in your thyroid. Okay, so that's basically all you're doing and all you can do against uh, iodine if and, it gets inside of your body. And what causes like what what were they talking about? For example, that 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 the fallout from Japan could you know what would cause our thy you know our thyroid to get an increase of iodine, or what you're saying. Sorry, go ahead. Well, iodine is a nutrient that the body intakes naturally, right? Yeah. So basically, when you get the radioactive version of it, the body doesn't know that, so it's just going to go into your thyroid. Mm-hmm. And then when the thyroid gets attacked by these beta particles, you know, that come out of it, you're going to get a disruption in the in the in a healthy activity so you might develop something there and one of the points i'd like to make before we go further with these uh analysis of what happens is that when these radioisotopes are ingested when they're outside your body and and they're uh and they're firing off particles you have to think about this in three dimensions so if you have a geiger counter and you're getting 100 counts per minute and the particles outside your body and you're in three dimensions, and you're such and such distance from it, then you can say, well, most of the radio release from that, uh, most of the uh, radiation from that is going to go away from me. But as soon as I inhale that or eat that or whatever, um, now I'm surrounding it with my cell tissue. And so the, and, and not only am I surrounding it with my cell tissue, it's, it's very close to the cells. So it doesn't go through the air and, and drop in intensity, the, the radiation. It just goes directly into the cell and cuts it into or does damage wherever within, you know, within the cell body. And, and so comparing external radiation standards to internal radiation intake and expecting the two to have some sort of equality is really crazy to say, well, we measured this many sieverts and, you know, and this is, was it for external exposure? We've got this whole style and such. And then to say that that's, you know, that's just like getting one x-ray and, and then here you inhale it and it's sitting there radiating 
really in a tightly packed space, destroying tons of cells around it for the life of that, for the, you know, more than the half-life, the quarter-life, and the 16th life, and so on. So it's, it's just very important to think about how much more damaging these particles are when they're actually close to you and surrounded by you. Okay, that's a good, that's, that explains a lot. Yeah, and, and to answer your question about the lung cancer statistics in Chernobyl, um, well, for the listeners out there, you know, number one, you have the official IAEA model, which have given the official, uh, quote-unquote official, government statistics on how much uh, damage was done. And then you have the newer ECRR model. That's a European Committee on Radiation Risk. And they have uh, done more of an independent research and, and talked to people on the ground, uh, looked over all the material published in Russia and Belarus, and they have come up with a more comprehensive study on how much damage was done. So you have two opposing views there. Yep. So how could people, you just said, you know, it's hard to, to tell what the external figures that we're hearing and realizing what we should do to prepare. I mean, what do you guys suggest for how do we, how do we monitor this and kind of make sure that we're all okay? I mean, this is crazy. Because clearly the Japanese and, and U.S. government yeah. seem like when the time that they'll tell us to panic is kind of when it'll when be it's too, too late. late. I mean, that's what, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with that. Well, but. well their objective number one they don't want people to panic and it's understandable right but the reason for that is that they want to protect their own interests as well sure. so the interest of people's health is really in the back burners mm -hmm. and that's not to say that the levels we're getting now is immediately you know threatening to our health and immediately really is the key word but at the same time you know you as long as you're aware of the mechanism of how radiation can be a threat to your health, then I think you can take appropriate measures. Right. And what are those measures? Well, it definitely would be to monitor uh, what you eat, where, mm -hmm. where the food sources come from, uh, consult independent people who actually take measurements. You know, you, you really mm -hmm. have to be aggressive. You, you want to avoid yeah. bioaccumulators. So cows are amazingly good at concentrating cesium and... Uh, and iodine. That's why we're seeing a lot of the radioactivity in the milk. Yeah, like in Hawaii country. and Hilo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, just an antidote on that. It's kind of funny. The EPA and the FDA have different standards for uh, what is okay. Of course. Well, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, they're always <laughs> so, changing their mind. <laughs> but, yeah. Or they raise the standards when crises happen. Right, right. You know, that, very, yeah, very that's a standard one. Them. Very convenient for them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, since, since we don't know what real, you know, since our risk model doesn't, isn't even really based on actual numbers, it's based on fairy dust, we can just say that there's more fairy <laughs> dust, and that'll be okay. What do you guys think about kelp? Just oh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a good source of iodine, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a natural way to... Uh, have it and you know i think it's better than taking pills right. sure. yeah during mm -hmm. chernobyl uh the japanese actually sent uh massive amounts of kelp and seaweed to Aww. to to russia for their uh, you know mitigation efforts so what what's going on with your friends right now what do you see happening i know that you're saying you you don't want to you know you're scared to go back to japan the evacuation zone right now is still only a hundred thousand a hundred kilometers. Oh, only a right? hundred kilometers. Okay. So what, 
No, what it's you, not even 100. Is it 100? Like 20. Are you serious? <laughs> no, I oh, think it's it, still only 20. I thought it got increased well, to 50 was, or something. No, no. It was no, raised no. it was raised today. It, well, there's there's there I believe that it went up to 30. So that's No, but it's not it's 20 it's, is the official still. Okay. And the US yeah. government gave a different warning, right? Yeah. A, a, a evacuation zone. It seems like they said 100 kilometers. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what I'm confusing mm-hmm. you with. They gave a much larger evacuation zone. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, because the threat is still there. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter uh, how how high the release is right now. The, right. The, the the possibility is there, so I think it's better to not be, be close to the source as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. I want to jump back to some of the questions you were asking earlier about um, how do you protect yourself from these mm-hmm. radioisotopes and what can you do and. Um, one of the things that the radioisotopes do is they, they just end up causing a lot of free radicals to be roaming around in your body. Mm-hmm. So eating foods that counteract free radicals, um, high in vitamin C, these kinds of things. Um, and antioxidants. Sure. Always good. General, general healthy California living is a really good way to counteract radio, uh, you know, radioiodine and these other um, cesium and some of the other isotopes that are making it to our shores. Um, at UC Berkeley, they measured uh, radioiodine at 186 times uh, the EPA level in the rainwater. This is back around the 12th, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and maybe that's only happening when it rains. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the rest of it floats on and lands in Philadelphia. But there's definitely some... Um, you know, significant, some potentially st- statistically significant amount of, of fallout landing in California. So it's important to be healthy and probably avoid um, dairy products and, and, you know, start researching how you can improve your diet to, uh, to reduce, reduce the risk of, uh, of cancer in general, overall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I got this this email sent to me that you guys may have seen and it's for, it's supposedly written from someone who lives in Japan and who used to work for a nuclear power plant and it's mm-hmm. like a guide on what to do if you do have fallout happening um, that's unavoidable in your area and what and what you can do and it has all these kind of elaborate like cleaning processes like you know where you know take your shoes and socks off before you go in and out of your house you know wash your hands before you go in the house um, I mean, do those things even matter? Like, I mean, w- w- like just think basic things like that. Does that kind of stuff help? Yeah, of, of course. Well, basically, you gotta. Uh, well, no matter how little or how how much there is out there, you just two different stages. One stage is that you try to have very little of it uh, around you, so you ingest it or you inhale it. That's number one. And then number two is once you do, then it goes back to what Anthony was saying, like you got to have your immune system strong. Mm -hmm. So all, all of those things that you just mentioned, of course it does help because it's not just the particles that are floating around. They could be on, on dust floating around, or it it could be on the ground accumulating. It could be, you could be kicking it up. So yeah, it, it is all, it is all, uh, very uh, relative, yes. It's just, so, it's just so scary because it just seems like we're just totally, it's just out of our control. You know, we're just sitting here watching this all happen and these assholes just don't care about <laughs> right, know, but, figuring but, out clean. <laughs> yeah, but you kind of have to take it in stride and also have to look at the big picture in that 
regular power plants release small amounts of radiation、mm-hmm. in its normal operations as well.、Mm-hmm. So it's not just this one particular accident. And just as Anthony mentioned earlier, you know, all these uranium bombs dropped. They, they carry all around the world in about a week or two. So、mm-hmm. we, we live in a nuclear world. And、mm-hmm. this is not the only contamination source that's happening. And if you go back and look at just cancer incidences before、right. the 50s, you know, a lot of people probably know this, but it was a very rare thing to、mm-hmm. see cancer in your town. Especially and, leukemia. And, right.、Mm-hmm. And, and, child, and doctors and child, would come from, leukemia,、yeah. from somewhere else and they'd say, we want to study your, your child. This is. You know, amazing that she's dying of this. <laughs> and, and, and it was that rare. And, you、wow. know, now it's not yeah, that it's, rare. It's very sad. I mean, well, of course, none of us are blaming it just on the、right. radiation at all. No, there's many it, other, you know. It has to be compounded, but that's the complexity of our immune system. You just don't want to bombard it with <laughs> stuff that's not natural. And that's really common sense. And, and, and also, another very, very, very important issue is that. A lot of people in the nuclear industry they try to only focus on cancer incidents and cancer deaths to kind of minimize the effect of radiation. But in、right. fact, when you have you know, these uh,、um, cells that are not functioning normally, it could, it could lead to anything.、Mm-hmm. It could cause nerve damage, it could cause chronic.、Uh, um, All, all sorts of chronic situations. You, you have low energy, you could, you could cause heart, respiratory problems, you could cause、uh, right. cardiovascular problems, birth know, defects. Mother- yeah. It's, it could basically lead to anything. That's the, that's the whole problem. But they only try to look at cancer and make it look like it's all or nothing, which is not true at all. Which helps their statistical risk model. It, mm-hmm. it, it really does help them、right. be able to, to. Basically, their whole excuse is if you don't die of cancer, it's not our fault. Yeah. And,、yeah. and, they, and they have some pretty nasty habits with how they count the statistics. So, like, say you have cancer before you're 18 and then you turn 18.、Mm-hmm. Well, you're not, a, you're not a person with <laughs> cancer anymore because we measured you when you were a child and you're not a child anymore. So, you're、uh, off our list. There's a lot of diluting schemes that go on like、right. that. And that,、exactly. that's just one of many. Exactly. There's one of many. But at the same time, you got to, you know, be. On the flip side of that, is that you, know, you don't have to freak out just because there's radiation, you're going to get cancer and die. That is not true at all. There's、mm-hmm. many, many things that you can do to counter the effects of、uh, these things that could be happening inside your body. Our cells are very well equipped to、uh, handle you know, malignant cells. We know how to handle uh, uh, you know, losing our immune system. Like, we, we're built for this. We know how、yeah. to fight it, but we just don't want to overwhelm it. That is the point. Right, exactly. Shingo, you were saying earlier that it seems like we deal with、um, problems just in the worst case scenario and then we finally you know, address it. But it just seems like first Chernobyl, now this. It's like, what else has to happen for us to really take a stand and、um, deal with the situation? It just, it just makes me wonder where the fuck are our priorities? We're very short sighted in, in right, the world well, scope. Well, I think education is the key.、Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are protesting against nuclear energy, they're not informed the way they're supposed to. They, a lot of people are actually freaking out more than they're supposed to、mm-hmm. or concerned, and、um, understandably so, but we just need to be educated.、Mm-hmm. And the information is out there. So the best we could do is to get people interested, number one, and then、mm-hmm. educate people the right way.
I, I admit that I had no idea um, the complexities or even, I mean, not the complexities, the most basic thing about nuclear energy and how we harness it. I, I did not know um, the basic fundamentals about nuclear yeah, energy. Yeah, and this I is, mean, I mean yeah. it's, it's just a whole, it's just a whole genre. Like yeah. imagine, <laughs> a good example is imagine if I said rock music is good. <laughs> what does that mean? You yeah. know, there's yeah. hundreds of artists, thousands right. of albums, <laughs> millions of songs, <laughs> right? More lyrics. There's so much to talk about. You can't just generalize any, you know, one thing and say this is good or bad. I think it's also because it's such like a foreign thing to me. It's just like this thing that has such an incredible amount of energy and it's so powerful and it's so just abstract well, as an it's idea. All, we're all built from atoms, so mm-hmm. it's, a, it's okay to explore it a little bit you know <laughs> yeah it's really it's we, good, we, we live in a universe that's like you know 4.6 billion years no no i mean the earth 4.6 billion years old and there's a reason that it took so long to have this pristine condition mm-hmm. um i wanted to change course a little bit unless you guys had some things you really wanted to get out before no go ahead before we change course um just to more of the political the bureaucratic sure. um, delays, you know, just the, the things that like, um, Anthony's Anthony sent me a, a couple things before we started this interview. And, um, some of the things that, that, that really stand out on here were, you know, the different regulatory agencies and their differing standards or, or how, um, you know, the Japanese government dragged their feet a little bit on, on, you know, tell, telling people the, the full scope of it. Um, and, and TEPCO, tell us a little bit about who they are and what and what they did. And also um, explain a little bit about how they could have prevented this possibly better than they did by injecting seawater, but they delayed to salvage the plant. I just threw a lot of stuff at you guys. No, so no. Feel uh, free I, to talk about all those. Okay, well, I'll start. Well, you're definitely on point about people not injecting water enough, but that that actually means scrapping the... Um, reactors so i think they really wanted to hold on to it they didn't think it was that serious yet or they acted like it wasn't serious yet and as far as tepco you know tokyo electric power you know they they yield a lot of um authority over the government in some ways because they they supply the energy it's it's almost like they create the blood that that goes to the heart of the nation you know what i mean so it's not like um they listen to whatever the government says. So they have a lot of say as well. But you got to understand the nuclear industry wouldn't exist without government subsidies as well. So if you believe in a democratic process, then people should have influence over what the nuclear energy industry is doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess elaborate a little bit more on just, you know, what you think, I mean, I mean, even go out on a limb a little bit here and, and you know, things may, maybe you're not even sure about that just you, you think happen and, and what, what their motivations were to, you know, start with a smaller evacuation zone and then expand it. And then, you know, at first it didn't even seem like they were spraying water on it. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, they had helicopters up there spraying water. What was, what was the reason do you think for these delays? Well, and, in, in a nutshell, like I mentioned before, 90 minutes after they lost power, they already knew what was happening. And everything else after that, it's just been a way to appease the public so they don't panic and they don't run out of uh, Japan, basically. 
Right, right. <laughs> and I mean, you have 36 million people or around that in the Tokyo metro area. So how do you, where do you move them to? Like, if, if there's a massive panic, you could, as a politician, you can make the excuse and you can say, well, if, if we have to move all these people or if they panic, there's going to be a greater loss of life than the NRC or the ICRP's risk model says there will be from X amount of radiation. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you so, know what? Like, I'm, I'm actually going to say that they've actually done an excellent job to keep the public in the dark and to keep and to keep the public from panicking. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. done an excellent job. They've pissed off most of the public, but they've done nonetheless. They've done a great job in getting them to not leave. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who's who's living in Japan now, and and he pretty much doesn't know anyone who has even a small sense of panic um, about this. And, you know, I don't, you know, like what would you tell somebody who's not panicking even the slightest sense? I mean, not, not to use the word panic, but not, not even worried about it at all. Who's living in Japan. Well, well, my, my personal opinion from being Japanese and speaking to family and friends over there, I don't think there's one person who's not panicking. Really? I, 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 that's my personal belief. They know exactly what's going Mm -hmm. on, but it's more of a social issue at this point. Like, could I leave my job and mm-hmm. and start a new life somewhere? Well, they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it it becomes more of a social issue than a health public health um, crisis. Right. What do you guys see happening? As uh, you know, Japan owns a lot of U.S. debt, and they're one of the strongest economies in the world. If there is a full blown meltdown, I mean, it seems like it's going that way. What do you guys see happening? In terms of its uh, the country's economic standing and anything like that. Wow, that's hard to predict. Yeah, well, I, I'm not a, I'm not an economic expert, so I can't really say. But yeah. you know, the economy in Japan and the U.S. prior to this incident it wasn't looking good anyway. So mm-hmm. you know, as as far as the public goes, you just gotta you know take care of ourselves and just stop being wasteful. Then you'll be all right. I mean, do you see Japan ever? becoming like uninhabitable i mean you know they had to evacuate chernobyl and it was like a dead zone for miles and miles i mean do you see that happening to fukushima and and how far do you see it going do you think that it would be that's that's all relative if it if it it, i mean you've got yeah you've got like if if the disaster escalates then you have let's say that you hit the water table it's mostly grand Mm -hmm. under there but let's say somehow you hit a pocket of water and you end up with a large radioactive you know cloud mm-hmm. that comes up and and then you get doubly unlucky and uh and the air currents that day happen to be blowing inland mm-hmm. then you could then you could see a swath of japan become um yeah become a black hole i guess i really don't like saying that yeah no no but that that's still all relative though you don't know you don't know that just because there's radioactivity, there's still people that live near Chernobyl. You know? mm-hmm. No, this is so absolutely true. It's just it, it that all, it's... it all comes down, even in the situation right now, it all comes <laughs> yeah. down to your personal value system and, and your personal judgment. Right, right. But I mean, having kids that don't have arms is really not my idea of like an okay life. I could no, like, and that that not. and that that happens to people who live in the exclusion zone. Yeah, but Chernobyl. exactly right now. But if you don't intentionally try to get as much radioactivity as possible, that is unlikely to happen, even though even at small doses, it could happen. So, so you're basically playing, playing probability at this point. Right. You're rolling the dice. 
but yeah. but what's not yeah. probability? I mean, is it is it correct to say that Fukushima and this and an area that is surrounding it as it stands right now is not safe to be? I mean, like, I mean, it seems like I mean twenty kilometers is you know it seems like a pretty large area. Well, I mean, until, until I was talking to a um, a French scientist the other day who worked on the Chernobyl problem when that was going on, and uh, he said what they need to do really soon is they need to go and map each square kilometer and, and sure. map, map the radiation levels, you know, maybe down to much tighter metrics to, uh, to, bu- to build a grid and say, I you totally know, agree with that. here's where the fallout went. Here's where it's, you know, here's where it's collecting and here's what we need to do to bioremediate and it's, and so on. And, you know, Japan isn't a huge country, so uh, it's going to take, yeah, it's the size of California, by the way. There's there's going to be an interest in uh, in trying to get the land back that they can. Yeah. And and so like recently we saw, you know, they said, oh, uh, don't plant don't plant your wheat in this area. Like don't plant or I'm sorry, your rice in mm-hmm. this area. And I thought, oh, that's totally the wrong thing to do. Like they should be planting the rice and. Um, and then harvesting it and carting it off to some disposal area mm-hmm. and processing it. Mm-hmm. And they should do that for as many years as it takes to get the cesium out of the soil and the other contaminants that are there. And, mm-hmm. and, and they should actually treat the food stocks that are getting contaminated as the bioremediation structure. Because the, later when the food stock needs to grow, it, you know, its specific way of leaching stuff out of the soil will have already done its job. And then, that's a really good so, point. And, and TEPCO should then have to buy all well, of that's that, the thing. Who's all of that food. That? Who's going to finance that? That's, mm-hmm. that's getting thrown away. A, a lot of farmers are basically going broke now because they, they can't sell their products mm-hmm. so, or produce. So that's the reality of it because the government isn't basically uh, doing its job to consider all these issues that are going on and they're basically just shelling out standards. Oh, below this is safe and above this is not not safe. I had yeah. a really quick question. Someone was telling me the other day, and I haven't—I actually don't know the answer to this. And I was wondering if you guys did um, that. The earthquakes are actually happening on this continental shelf that has that drops down like thousands of feet into the ocean. Um, do you guys know anything about that? Wait, wh- what the, do you mean? Where, your where again? the epicenter of these earthquakes are ha- have been happening? Like you know, in the last month, these two big earthquakes are happening on a particular continental shelf in on the coast of Japan that has like the, the potential to drop down and cause like massive, um, I don't know. These people were just, uh, well, well, do you know you anything know, about that? Well, there's been hundreds and hundreds of aftershocks afterwards. Right. So some of the harder, uh, um, earthquakes have happened not in the sea, but actually on land. They were and actually the, saying the, that they could like drop into the ocean. <laughs> you know, they well, say that about California I mean, and it's like bullshit, but they were saying that that actually could happen because. Well, well when you have something. a plate that goes under another plate, mm-hmm. that's called sub- subduction. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's causing these earthquakes. I mean, I don't know about things dropping dramatically, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, it's never just one incident. That's, that's key to it. Like you've, well. you've had a lot of uh, aftershocks that are over magnitude six and it's been pretty hectic over there mm-hmm. to say the least i'll i'll say two things to that <laughs> that info space one is that i uh you know i never challenge edgar case although i don't uh believe in anything he said <laughs> and the second <laughs> is that uh uh there are there are tsunami markers all along the shore that are above those nuclear power plants mm-hmm. 
that say don't build below this marker and they were they were you know carved in stone and put in the hillside a thousand years ago Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a precedent for these kinds of tsunamis and large earthquakes happening along that fault without japan sinking (laughs) so so you know it's hard to say Mm -hmm. what the future holds but hopefully that release is just you know just a a large uh correction in the earth's crust and and things will you know well well, yeah and and also if you follow the news like this one big earthquake that happened like a week ago it actually knocked out power on other plants as well and it cut out cut, cut off the power supply to the reprocessing fuel center as well and it went into emergency uh so it, this could still happen at any other time at any other place. That's what we have to um, take action towards. It's really important to know there's 23 sister power plants using these same Mark I boiling water reactor designs that GE made in the United States. Wow. And, and so all of these are basically, um, I mean, that was an amazing natural disaster. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was, you know... Uh, almost a triple punch. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are some redundancies built into these systems, but obviously what we learned from this is that there are events that the uh, NRC and other groups are not going to estimate for mm-hmm. because it's not financially viable or because they just didn't think that that fault was going to slip because you know that wasn't part of our model. It, it wasn't there. And that's how disasters work. They're things that aren't in your model. And I think the important thing to consider is that there's all sorts of disasters that we haven't considered that could happen to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that, that if those disasters happen and you have nuclear power plants in the path of them, it's a force multiplier. It's a disaster yeah, yeah, multiplier. Exactly. I mean, it's one thing for your hometown to be leveled and be reduced to rubble, but it's a whole other issue that you can't live there anymore. So you got you really have to think about it in those extreme terms. Yeah, I, me- I remember back when Chernobyl happened, or I mean, I don't think I was old enough to know what was happening, but in in high school they were saying that you know the biggest nuclear power disaster, you know, killed less people than uh, you know the Bhopal chemical disaster, you know, in India. Um, uh, I don't even know if that's true, but indoctrination. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's just interesting. <laughs> I mean, what you just said, that a nuclear power plant in the path of a natural disaster is, I mean, it's it's a frightening prospect. And I mean, even though it would be frightening for, you know, a natural gas plant or an oil refinery, as we saw, you know, almost a year ago now explode, um, you know, or 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 catch on fire from a natural disaster, it doesn't seem to be even remotely close to the long term and just devastating consequences of a nuclear power plant. I mean, we can't right. even set foot near the problem. I mean, once it gets, you know, to a certain point, and it's all, we can't power. see it. That's what's so well, ominous right, about right, it. Right. Exactly. So you guys are both right. And, uh, usually I really try to take a new neutral, uh, perspective and say all, everybody's right. You know, like I, I understand the fact that, uh, of course you could die, uh, more people die in a car accident or in suicide in Japan, and you guys are making a much deal out of this radiation issue. You know what? That's a very valid point. You know what I mean? Like, so, so, so that's the very reason the nuclear industry doesn't want people to find out about the reality of radiation because people will be frightened. 
Yeah. And, and so, so, you know, we, we just have to educate ourselves and just be real with it. And in this process, you know, we've done a lot of, um, I've been tasked with looking into the risk models that the industry uses. And, and I found that um, they don't account for the on-the-ground reports and, and statistics that have occurred after Chernobyl. The risk models and the, and the aftermath don't match up. <laughs> so it doesn't so, it doesn't at all so, so when you yeah. start seeing that you say well wait a second i have to talk about this because yeah, so it's why, because why, there is why, more danger what here. do they have to hide is the question you need to be asking if mm. it's really not that bad why are they hiding and everyone should check out our soundcloud timeline as you're listening to this we're going to link to a bunch of the resources that um chingo and anthony have been have been talking about would that be sure. okay if you guys send me those great. links yeah. and the risk no models problem. you guys are talking no about great uh, I wanted to go back to one one thing regarding just radiation, um, the effects on the human body. Um, Anthony wrote this in his little pre-question thing. Um, the health effects of radioisotope poisoning, toxic heavy metals, not the radiation aspect. Now, elaborate a little bit on that and what what that means exactly. Chingo, I think you're more no, familiar no, no, with no, that. What no, I was talking about before, wasn't that, that, it? About- no, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it seems like there's another potential danger from nuclear power plant, particulate matter that's not necessarily radioactive, that's toxic in other ways. Is that correct? Well, of course, is that whenever you introduce something, you know, that is not natural, such as a heavy metal or a nanoparticle, like you obviously force the body to respond to these external threats. So therefore, your body is wasting uh, important resources to handle something that it shouldn't be doing otherwise so, and and also yeah. the stuff gets uptaked uh, a lot of times it'll get uptaked and if we if we just ignore the radioactivity of it it's interesting where it gets uptaked and where it goes so um you can end up with uh stuff binding to calcium channels um binding to sodium channels in the brain um it's you know this is a very big topic and i'm not educated enough to actually speak on it at this point but i've spoken with people who are and uh there is there's definitely the potential for these nanoparticles to move about in your system and just cause toxicological effects which are not going to be cancers they're just going to be general diseases it's very interesting yeah yeah well basically when your organs get overloaded with these things they basically stop performing and, and it would lead to symptoms which you would interpret as disease, such as diabetes or kidney failure or pancreatic failure, any, anything. That's sure. fascinating. So there's no traceability really directly. I mean, there is that we know right, that they right. cause these, but it's not really like we don't know the real statistics of how many people are. You know, That's exactly these right. Diseases. That's exactly right. Because our health system is that complex. It's never A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. Right, it, could I just, be, it could be A plus B equals A through Z. <laughs> That's true. Um, and then Anthony wrote something else here that that um, that TEPCO and other Japanese energy companies or mafias, as you describe them, <laughs> employing homeless people to wipe the reactor piping in core entrances, basically like people that they know are going to get toxic levels of radiation. Yeah, that well, that's standard practice. The people <laughs> yeah. over there. Uh, they get rounded up and it's not just homeless people, but uh, seasonal workers who just want a day job. And these people are there uh, to either uh, t- 
tighten up the pipes or they can't do too much technical stuff, but they do cleaning and some regular maintenance. At least they're it, paying them and BP just had prisoners working the, the oil spill cleanup. Right. Slave labor. <laughs> right. So, so, so I guess speak a little bit about the, the idea that the people there that are there now working to salvage the plant are almost facing a death sentence in a way. I mean, is mm-hmm. that, is that exaggerated or are they basically it, it, committing really, suicide? Kind it's, of? it's really hard to say. If it's hard to a, say. If they're in an area that you're getting a lot of gamma rays, which is light, basically those bodysuits aren't doing anything mm-hmm. to them. So of course their body will be degraded over time and who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. To during them. criticality is not a good time to be there. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Or, or just uh, you know particulates that emit gamma rays too. Like you don't you don't know what you're getting, and it's just a ri- higher risk, obviously, that they're going through. So uh, only time will tell. Yeah, it could it could be a year, it could be a few years. Who knows? So as of right now, are all four or I guess all three reactors are they leaking radiation into the atmosphere? Are they yes, uncontained yes. in a sense? Yes, they're completely uncontained one through four and they and they foresaw this right i mean the guy said the designer or whatever said there was like a ticking time bomb that they had skipped all these did you guys know anything about that i read some oh, articles that the hitachi right the guy or Hitachi, i'm not sure which but he had he had actually gotten a bonus and and been <laughs> rewarded for fixing uh reactor number three at that facility he had he had uh, refired it in a furnace and it was like i guess it had fallen over while it was being fired and then it had a huge dent looks in it, good which, <laughs> yeah so they so they took it and reformed it and uh and said just don't worry about that thank you you've done a great job yeah and now that re- that one actually may be one of the ones that's cracked oh, wow. well i mean you know to their defense they never anticipated to their fault as well, they never anticipated completely losing power. That that's what's causing this situation. This is really not a design fault. They just weren't ready for, for this uh, catastrophe. Unacceptable. Honestly, who designs a who designs a power plant that can't self power? <laughs> but um, and it's just to, it's unbelievable. Not to sidetrack us too much, but what what where does that aesthetic look? come from with a power plant like that looks almost like video game like pixel art like the the side of each reactor like do you know what i'm talking about the little blue uh-huh. squares coming off it like what was that a design that was popular back when fukushima was built like what um i'm just I'm, curious I'm not sure i'm not sure if they had that since the 70s where they repainted it to make it look more like a regular building you know so it doesn't have the actual uh nuclear power plant shape oh like the big the big yeah. cooling tower like in the because those are scary yeah. those yeah. are scary yeah. I, I think <laughs> i think people should know though that uh the scale of those because it took me a while to really mm-hmm. grasp how big they are yeah they're and, huge and they're huge and and i saw i saw someone do an overlay of the um one of the great pyramids over the top they were saying what do we have to do we'll put pyramid over it you know and Whoa. and the, the great pyramid could only cover two of the reactors Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, I I wasn't aware of the scale either until those recent pictures came out. They were really good-looking, um, mm. like unmanned aerial photographs. Like a little remote-controlled plane took them. Did you right, see those photos? Right. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are. I mean, it wasn't until then that I realized just how freaking large the the complex was. Mm-hmm. And really quickly, you guys, just to wrap everything up. Thank you so much for joining us, you guys. It's been really awesome to get some clarity on the situation. 
Um, if you guys just have any, you know, points that you wanted to make or anything, any last words to the audience about just nuclear energy or just the situation, um, Anthony, we'll start with you. Um, well, I guess I just, I just like to relate how I was uh, introduced to nuclear power. Um, cause it was kind of interesting. Um, I was, my mother took me to, um, a nuclear power station in Canada when we were on vacation and they had tours and I was young, maybe five or six years old. And, um, so there was a tour guide and he was taking us around showing us various rooms and it was mostly just walking halls, I think, because they can't really take you in anything because <laughs> it's not safe, <laughs> but, um, or they don't allow people there. So, so we were basically just walking halls and this guy was talking to us and at a certain point I got thirsty and, um, but I had an instinctual fear of the place and I don't know why. Maybe I was just reading that from my mother or reading that from, mm. from other people that were in our tour group. But there was an instinctual fear in me of nuclear power from before when my mother mentioned, do you want to go to the nuclear power plant? I think there was an instinctual fear. Mm. And so when we were, when we were there and I had gotten thirsty, the tour guide said, oh, come over here and drink some water. And I was scared to drink the water. And he said, oh, it's fine. It's probably safer than the water in your hometown. God, what a terrifying concept. <laughs> and I, probably safer. And I was standing there looking at the water and, you know, kind of struggling to do, to, to go through this. Now that I look back on it, it was a nuclear initiation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this was a way of helping me understand that nuclear power was okay. And I wonder how many kids who've toured nuclear power plants have to go and drink from the water fountain and well, be told. Or maybe the guy knew how bad, badly contaminated your hometown water was. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Were I just, you from the same place that, um, uh, never mind. I was near Rocky Flats, but whatever. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, the indoctrination comes from really early on. Even in, in history books, just reading about dropping the, you know, the bomb on, Japan, on the two bombs on Japan and it's just kind of like the end of the chapter and then we just move on. It's like, wait, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, yeah. we leveled these two cities completely and devastating consequences that they're still, um, that are still affecting us now. So it is really interesting how we are indoctrinated into accepting that it's completely fine and that it's necessary and that we needed to do that to, to end the war and just all that propaganda. Right, right. And then I ignored it until uh, friends were in danger. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm absolutely guilty, like the rest of everybody else, for totally turning a blind eye mm-hmm. to where I get my energy from. Yeah. And, th- and, and we can't do that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Shingo? Well, okay, well, I'll share you an anecdote as well. When I was probably like in third grade or fourth grade, uh, this was elementary school in Japan. We all got these little um, light blue brochures passed around in class. And, and it was it was in the shape of a passport. Yeah, like a traveling document. And on it, it actually said, Passport to the 21st century. <laughs> right? That's, that yeah. sounds like that Simpsons episode when Bart gets shown the um, that film with the little guy who has the little nucleus like floating mm-hmm. around his body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then, and then inside of it, it talked about the technology of how to harness energy from nuclear uh, uh technology and then it talked about all the good things and the necessity and that's how people are educated in japan you know they only talk about the good things they don't talk about 
the dangers or the weight disposal. They don't talk about any of that. It's amazing.、Mm-hmm. They don't even have a place to uh, uh, s- store the fuel, the final repository. They don't have. Any place in the country, nobody wants it. Where do they、yeah. put it? Is,、right、it is that what it is? Yucca Mountain. Yucca, yeah. that, 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 that's the tragedy of it. They don't have anywhere to put it, so they store it inside the power plant. Oh my God. In these spent fuel pools.、Yeah. And it just、oh、sits there、God. for five years open. And so then they say, well, we have a, we have a reactor vessel that's you know, somewhat secured and blah, 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 and it can yeah, withstand these things. Well, but what well, about the stuff in the spent fuel pool? Holy shit. So they're just hoping for. That someone's going to come up with a solution at some point <laughs> and just kind of staving off the inevitable. Yeah, well, is- well, there's a gigantic pool in、uh, Aomori as well that's getting filled by the minute and they have to、uh, pack it tighter and tighter. So, you know, t- time is really not working for us right now. So, that's and- a spent fuel plant where they try to harness energy a little bit from it? Well, basically,、no. they, they're trying to melt it and then extract plutonium and more precious metals.、Mm-hmm. But in,、oh, okay. the, in, the, in the process of doing that, you're Releasing more radioactivity into the, into the waters. Wow. In the air, yeah. So, anyway, so that, that's, that's just the type of、uh, education that we're,、uh, we have to、uh, be up against. So,、mm-hmm. not, not being you know, too negative just because they only talk about the positive, we just have to give people an overall perspective. And if you want to talk about the future of nuclear energy, Unfortunately, you got to learn about the history of nuclear energy, otherwise, you will have absolutely no understanding on what we're talking about. Well, so, so this is going to take a well, let, let me just finish. Yeah,、so、yeah. it's just going to take a really, really long time, but we have to do that because of the nature of the problem. It's going to take tens of thousands of years for people to、um, deal with this, and we're, we're talking about babies that are born right now, they don't even know what's going on, and they、mm-hmm. have to. They have to be、mm. facing these things, even if we stop uh, stop uh, firing up the plants right now.、Mm-hmm. So, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely.、Yeah. Good, good final point.、Uh, did you want to say anything, Anthony?、Uh, I don't think so.、Okay. I think he summarized it perfectly. Well, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate the insight.、Um, and you guys are extremely well researched on the subject, and it shed a lot of insight for me.、Um, so, thank you very much. Sure. Well, actually, can I, can I say one last thing? Go ahead. Of course.、Yeah. So, recently I spoke to this、um, scientist named Marion Falk. He's about 90 years old and he worked with hydrogen bombs. And he, he, he、uh, shared with me this important formula, which is when people talk about risk, right? It's not just the probability of it happening, you have to consider the severity of it. So, even if the probability is low, if the severity is high, you have to take the risk seriously. Yeah. Right? So, we, we talk about your health. And、um, we talk about these、uh, evacuation situations or how to monitor your food.、Mm-hmm. Just because it's a low probability doesn't mean that you can take it lightly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, really quickly, I wanted one more final point from each of you. A lot of people say, well, what, what, what should we do instead? You know, I mean, nuclear energy is the only thing that we can do that's clean and it's the most efficient.、Um, but, you know, of course, we can harness a lot of natural. Energies from the earth, do you guys see that, that that's a feasible alternative? Geothermal, wind, solar? I mean, what do you, what do you guys, are you guys proponents of any particular type of energy? Well, okay, I'll start. Well, realistically speaking, we have to do a combination of everything.、Mm-hmm. Well, number one, use less energy. And number two, you gotta, you gotta work with what you have. And Japan hasn't <laughs> even, even seriously explored、uh, alternative energy. 
they have a wealth of uh of geothermal or uh you can use ocean currents and you can use uh, uh heat that's coming from the ocean floor you can do various things anything but nuclear energy that's my perspective yeah i would i agree with all of that and i i can only add that i'm a proponent of hydrothermal which is the ocean floor venting structures mm -hmm. being tapped i think that that's a uh, a very good potential alternative that should be uh, researched and invested in. And another uh, thing I'd like to add to all of that is that um, I feel like um, free market capitalist energy concerns should only be allowed to work on green energy. Here, so, here. so if you're going, if you want to be a competitive, aggressive free market structure and and have and and play these games then you should have to work on things that benefit humanity and benefit the environment. And if you're, if you're going to build these reactors that um, don't have long lifespans, number one. Number two, there is such a thing as peak uranium. And it is closer on the horizon than people think. We were so, just mentioning that in the last broadcast. If you have a little bit to say about peak uranium, yeah, please, please elaborate on that concept a little bit for us. Well, I mean, just it's in simple terms that there's <laughs> limited geographic uh, places where you can mine where you can mine it, and uh, and eventually the cost of mining becomes more expensive than the energy extraction that you get from once you've pulled it out. So um, there are other alternative nuclear technologies that are better than the ones that are currently employed. However, they carry the same they carry the same uh, potential high risk situations so most of them do and when you just when you look at them on risk models you're like wow that could that could go terribly wrong as well so you have to factor that in when you're making public policy you just have to say you know are these risks that can destroy tens of thousands of acres of arable land or hundreds of thousands really um are those worth it do we want to kill our ability to farm on our you know on our soil that that's probably not a good idea but um yeah, I'm I'm definitely a proponent of uh of moving to green energy concerns and and letting the capitalists play in that territory and nationalizing these dirty technologies and and you know, pull it reining them in and doing something to uh <clears throat> to mitigate the risk that they currently present. Absolutely agreed. Yeah, well well one one nice statistic to have is that before World War II, Japan had few hundred uh, power stations scattered all around the country. It, w it wasn't these big conglomerates controlling like a over a huge population. We just have to go back to a more localized uh, kind of power sharing mm -hmm. instead of um, one big company making huge amounts of energy and then wasting a lot by just uh, transferring it over hundreds of miles. You know, you just have to go back to a more, uh, a more local structure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much uh, for taking the time. It's been thank you. awesome. Yeah, um, thank you for having us. Have an awesome day, you guys. Thanks so much yeah. for being on. Let's do this again soon. For sure. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Media Roots Radio, guys. Be sure to check out our SoundCloud timeline to follow all the links that we talked about, the videos, articles, and also the music that we play on the broadcast. Don't forget to donate to MediaRoots.org, and see you next week. Peace. Yeah. It's like this. Like this. 
If we can't make love, we can always make peace, can't we? If we can't make love, we can always make peace, can't we? If we can't make love, we can always make peace, can't we? Have a minute or two to come face to face, y'all. Just name the place and I'ma be there. Half an hour early so I can feel the joy in my chest while waiting for. Even if you're late, a couple of ticks, it'll feel like forever to sit in front of the building. Watch a crowd walk by and you're not in it. That we to limit, then you surprise me. With your presence, the dopest present of all, totally in awe by the simple fact that you came plus your ass in my car. Huh? My body loves you like water, dry land thirst to the highest order. Sweet memories saved on recorder, two cowbirds sitting on the border. My body loves you like water, dry land thirst to the highest order. Sweet memories saved on recorder, two cowbirds sitting on the border. Yeah. So much on my mind, and yet before I lay the rest, I find the space to think about a long lost friend. Wherever the excitement went, so did the air and the heavenly scent. Now the stench of my own breath got me sucking on the fruit of death. Real life and death around the world got me feeling on the times we spent. I don't know how the two relate, but they do see, believe you me. I never felt so wanted like a fugitive on a poster, but you already had me like a coaster on the bottom of a fine glass trend. Loosen the most reason to pass a pour from the sealed bottle. We can crack shells like a pair of sea otters, gaze like crystal. Geyser with the mineral, rich with the natural gift. My body love you like water. Dry land thirst to the highest order. Sweet memories saved on recorder. Two powers sitting on the border. Yeah, my body love you like water. Dry land thirst to the highest order. Sweet memories saved on recorder. Two Sitting on the border, now break it down like.